Thank you, Lord. Father, you're amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. Holy Spirit, you are amazing. One God, three jobs to do, all done. We thank you, Lord. You saved us out of this darkness and brought us into a kingdom of light. Even though we're in this world, we're not of this world anymore. Our home is with you. This is just temporary for now. Lord, as we sang that song, it's amazing. You look at the universe, we walk out the door, the skies are clear, and we see all the stars in the sky. A hundred billion galaxies started just by your word. <laughs> I'm sure that may be light. Lord, you're amazing. And then you had so much love that you came down to this earth to redeem us from our sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We were lost and you found us dead and you gave us life. We were headed for the kingdom of the devil that was prepared for him. Now we're headed for the kingdom of heaven to see you face to face. Our king, our savior, our God, our deliverer, the one who gave his life that we might have life abundantly. Oh, great God that you are. I pray that the world could know you. You told us to go into all the world. Lord, I pray that the missionaries, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the, the colleagues of ours, the, the church itself, the individual will be out there preaching the gospel right now, Lord, around the world, whether it's daylight or dark, whether it's, it's 3 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon, Lord, let the gospel be proclaimed around the world today. Lord, use us. Use us. You turned the world upside down with 11 disciples. And then the apostle Paul you called. and Turned more of the world upside down. And we thank you, Lord. Because this world is really upside down from you and needs to be turned right side up. And by us turning the world upside down, we're turning it right side up the way it should be, the way you wanted it to be, that your kingdom would come to this earth and your will would be done on this earth. Lord, as the message goes forth from all the pulpits tonight, as each individual is maybe preaching across the desk from somebody, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit empowers their, your word and draws people into the kingdom and that you won't leave anybody behind. We're waiting for that last one to be called into your kingdom. And the time of the Gentiles ends and we'll be in the kingdom with you. And it's time to redeem the lost that are left. Lord, Hear our prayers here tonight and be in the study that we preach. 
Let the Holy Spirit speak loud and clear to each one of us and let us have the courage to say yes to him and whatever he speaks to us. And may you receive the glory for it in Jesus' holy name, Father. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, everybody. And for those online, you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. We're glad you're here. Please, uh, you know, tune in next week, 7.15. We start, and uh, we're right now I'll be in Romans tonight, chapter 1, and verse 16, 17, and 18. I might get to them. I don't know. I'm not sure. But anyway, for those online, we're here every Thursday night, 7.15. We're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida. If you're local, we're only a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. And if you're local, come on and see us Thursday nights at 7.15, uh, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And if you're local men, we have a men's Bible study Saturday morning at 9 a.m. So uh, it's going to be a good time as always. So come on by. Uh, for those of you online, our website is freedomchurchpb, stands for palmbeach.org, freedomchurchpb.org. You can check us out, find out what we believe. I can listen to messages from years back. You can find out our address and our location, and you can certainly give online. There's a, a Give Life button, and just press on that button, and it'll take you to where you need to go. But we need to support our, our churches uh, during this Time. The devil just loved to shut down a church and close the door. But I tell you what, he's fighting a losing battle because Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. You're going to slow it down if you don't, you know, support your missionaries, your pastors, your teachers. And, uh, you know, you want to you want to keep your tithe, your gifts, your offerings and your alms going uh, and do it with a smile on your face because that's uh, what's necessary. God loves a cheerful giver, as you well know. So I think that's a, that's about it. Um, Sunday, I do want to tell you, on Sundays, I'm teaching in Matthew. Uh, for those who just tuned in, I'm teaching on Matthew. I'm, I'm in chapter 8 and 9. There's 12 miracles that Jesus uh, has done. We looked at number 7 last week, and I've been... I've been showing the church that Jesus is identifying himself by the miracles that he is performing. You know, because a miracle is a supernatural activity that reveals or demonstrates or uh, a spiritual truth. And as Jesus heals the leper, he is identifying himself as Jehovah Rapha, our healer. As he heals, as he calmed the seas and the wind, he's identifying himself as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. As he, as he healed the centurion's dog, uh, servant that was, uh, you know, miles away, um, Jesus wasn't even there. But he told the guy, you know, you know, let it be done according to your faith. And, and it was done. And he's identifying himself as, as, as El Roy, the, the God who is there. You know, he's, he's there. So... He's identifying himself, and it's very, very good. We have uh, at least five more miracles to look at in chapter 9, and I think there's even one in chapter uh, 10, but we're going to see, you know, Jesus was doing this on purpose so that he could be, that the crowd, the, the poor people, the sick people, the blind people, 
the rich people and even the scribes and the Pharisees would, I, he would identify, they would see him identifying himself as Jehovah Rophe, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah uh, Nisi, and all the, all, uh, some of the names of, of our God. So tune in. It's a, it's a great study. Um, so we're in Romans tonight. We're in um, chapter uh, 1. And I'm on the 16th verse, but I'm going to do a little review real quick because we've been in this chapter, this is maybe the third or fourth time in this chapter. Verses 1 through 3, 13, Paul is identifying himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I showed you that that word bondservant there means like a galley slave, like one in the boat that's rowing, but he's chained to the oars. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I'm willingly changed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see in that verse, the first verse at two also, that he's called. He has, he has an office divinely selected to fulfill. And we see that he's separated. He says he's been separated for the gospel. And there was three stages of that. From birth, inside the womb of his mother, at his conversion, on the road to Damascus and at his commission. So we can see that Paul is a bondservant. He is called and he is separated from birth for conversion to be born again at the commission that God had given to us. And I, I'm going to tell you this, that applies to every single one of us today. Whether you're online or at this church, you are a bondservant or you should be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you were saying, I'm a bond servant. I'm going to be chained to you forever. I want to be chained to you. And you are chained to him. You are called. God has an office for you or a responsibility for you to do. Even if, even if it's, it's only the great commission to go and make disciples. You know, he has a commission. You are called. And you have been separated from birth. You know, the, the day you were were formed in your mother's womb? Do you know that your name was written in a book of life? And God knew your name before it was ever given to you. And you, his, your name is written in a book of life. And the only way it's going to be re erased from the book of life is if you reject the, the precious sacrifice, the blood of the our precious Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins. If you reject that by the time you... You uh, draw your last breath. It is, there's no more chances. There's no more chances. We in America are very blessed because we have the gospel saturating this nation, but yet our nation keeps going down in the wrong direction. Anyway, we need to get out there, church. We need to wake up. We need to preach the gospel. You are called and you are separated for the gospel. At your birth, your name was written in a book of life. At conversion, you were born again. You no longer you were just born of the flesh. You were born of the Spirit of God. And then when you, when you have become a born-again believer, you have a commission to do, to go, therefore, and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said he will be with you always. That's why it's a commission. It's you and it's him. In verses 14 and 16, Paul says three I am statements. I want to remind you of this also. Paul says, I am a debtor. 
I am ready to preach the gospel. That's number two. And number three, I am not ashamed. This is, applies to all of us here today. This is an application. You know, I, I, I've, get, I've been getting pretty strong at applications. When I was in the Bible college, I practically failed a lot on the application. I couldn't figure it out. But after talking with a the teacher, they explained it to me. And I finally got it. We need to apply these things. You're a bond servant. You are called and you are separated for the gospel. And you, you know, Paul has three I am statements. He says, I am a debtor and you are a debtor. You are a debtor because Jesus Christ came, died, was buried, and has risen. He paid the penalty for your sin that you can't pay, and you become a debtor to him. He paid for your sins. He said, I am ready to preach the gospel, and likewise, you, when you were saved, God is saying you're ready to preach the gospel. You have some training to do. You have to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you should be Ready in season and out season, out of season, Paul says, to preach the gospel. Now, the gospel is very empty, very simple. Christ came, died, he's buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. All you got to do is even give your own testimony. Paul, the apostle Paul gave his testimony many times. In Acts chapter 26, he gave his testimony before Felix, I believe it was. Listen, you know, you all you got to do is give the your testimony, tell people about Jesus, not only with your lips, but with your actions, with your words. I mean, not only with your words, but with your actions. When they see that you're a godly person, that you, you aren't a thief, you aren't a liar, you, aren't a, uh, you don't have a foul mouth, you know, you're ready to preach the gospel. Just you, You're going to be a silent epistle, but God needs you to open up a little bit more and open your mouth and preach the gospel. Then Paul goes to the next one, and I am not ashamed. And you also are not, should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should not be ashamed that you are a, a believer in Christ. If Paul says it, if I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he tells you why. Because it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. So if you're ashamed of the gospel... Paul's telling you, and really God's telling you through the Apostle Paul's writing, that you are powerless unless you're not ashamed of the gospel. Why would you want to be ashamed of the gospel? The king of all kings, the lord of all creation, the one who put the 100, 800 billion galaxies into, into uh, the, the space, he called you. He wants you on his team. My goodness, we have have a great calling. Why would we be ashamed of the God of the universe? Why would we be ashamed of Jesus Christ who came and died and was buried and is risen three days later? Here it is 2,000 years later, and there's many followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no followers of Caesar Augustus. There's no followers of, 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 uh, of Alexander the Great. Where are they at? Well, they're all in their graves, but only one grave is empty, and that is the tomb of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All that had to be done to stop Christianity would be come up with the body of Christ. Yet, they didn't come up with the body of Christ. You know what they came up with? They came up with, he's alive. And they went to their deaths. All the apostles went to their deaths as a martyr, and not to count the countless Millions, possibly, that have been martyred for the name of Jesus. 
wow, don't be ashamed of Christ ever. You know, carry your Bible to church. I know a lot of people have the Bible on their cell phone, and I use it on mostly on Saturday mornings when, when one of the guys is teaching. You know, I got my Bible there. I got my, my other Bible, my, my cell phone there where I got all different, ref- what can I say? I got all different versions of the Bible. I can look up a word and find out what verse. If I didn't hear the verse, I can look up the verse, the word, the main word, and come up with the verse that the teacher's teaching on. You know, but carry your Bible around. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let it be something that uh, people will recognize that it's a Bible, you know. Um, And don't be ashamed. Somebody asked you about Jesus. Don't be ashamed to say, Merry Christmas or or uh, God bless you in Jesus' name. Don't be ashamed, afraid to say that. Also, there's five Ps that we went through. I call them the five Ps. Why you should not be ashamed. Why you should not be ashamed of the five Ps. Here they are. Number one, the gospel is prophetic. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures are they which bear witness of him. You search the scriptures and think you have eternal life. The scriptures don't give you eternal life. It's Jesus of the scripture that gives you eternal life. The gospel is prophetic. You know, there's 365 prophecies that point to one man in all of time. And there's only one man that fulfills those prophecies. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel's prophecies are very specific. The 173,880 days from the time the edit was granted to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the king will be, you know, uh, 173,880 days. You count them off from that day, you end up in Jerusalem around, around the time Jesus you know, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which he is, that's the point when he was identified really before everyone that he was the Messiah of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The gospel is prophetic. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. He made a trip to Egypt. You know, he, he was given a name above every name. He's the star of David. You know, it goes on and on and on. He's the one that was coming. He's going to heal the sick and raise the dead. And the blind are going to see. The deaf are going to hear. The lame are going to walk. And there's only one man that that happened to that, that, that we can claim, that can claim that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. His gospel is prophetic. He has fulfilled the prophecies of the gospel. Not all of them. There's still more to be fulfilled. Talking about the second coming and the rapture. You know, the gospel number two of the five Ps is the gospel is provable. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. We, we studied it before a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, And declared to be the Son of God, talking about Jesus, with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You know what? You want to wipe out Christianity, you have to wipe out the resurrection, and you cannot do it. Jesus Christ is one of the is uh, is the most talked about historical figure, and he never had a weapon like Alexander the Great or or Caesar. Never. The gospel is provable. 
Jesus said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back up. And what did he do? He raised this temple. He was talking spiritually, not physically. He was talking to the Jews. They thought he was going to tear down the, the physical temple that Herod had built. And at that point, it was like 46 years it was being built. Jesus said, you tear this down, and I'll raise it up in three days. He's talking about this temple, because now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you kill this temple, because now the temple, you are the temples of God. You kill this temple, he said, I'll raise this temple in three days. And he did. Can't a Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You can preach yourself happy with the scriptures, I'll tell you what. Here's number three. The gospel is personal. Here's Romans 1.5. We just read it a couple weeks ago, went through it. By whom we all have received grace and apostleship. We all have received grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the penalty. He paid the expense. But we get to have his riches because his righteousness, if you believe, you know, if you believe in him, his righteousness is imputed to you. And unfortunately, our sin is imputed to him. But he can survive the penalty of sin because he was sinless. So he could rise from the dead. He had power over the grave. Praise God. 2 Timothy 2, 1, 12 says, By whom we have believed and am persuaded that he is able. He is able. It's Ephesians 3, 22. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He is able. He's personal God. You have trouble, he's able to pick you up. Remember I ta talked a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, um, you know, a lot of people don't like to raise their hands in church because they think, they think, they think, a lot of people think the ones who raise their hand, they're, they're, they're holy people and they're the ones that have it all together. But really, you know, you got to look at it when you throw your hands in the air. It's like also a sign of a little child that's saying, Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, pick me up. It's not just for those that are, are, are super holy. It's for those that are saying, I need you now, Lord. Daddy, Master, pick me up. Pick me up, Daddy. Because that's what a little kid would do if he wants Daddy to pick him up. We need to do that. Right now, there's a lot of people in this church at the loss of our sister, you know, that, that is like that. we got to lift our hands and, and praise, praise God and say, Daddy, I'm hurting. Pick me up. Pick me up. Number four, the gospel is powerful. The word of God is piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of, of your heart. The Word of God can change drug addicts and make them whole. It, the Word of God can take the perverted and make them pure. The Word of God can take sinners and make them sinless. The, the Word of God can take the crooked people, the liars, and make them honest and truthful. He can make the perverted pure. That's because he's powerful. The Gospel, number five, is also preachable to those who believe. You can preach the gospel to a child and they'll understand it and receive Christ as their Savior. But you can take it to the college graduate and preach it and, and some of them will, will accept it and go on. 
And so you're going to take it to the biggest scholar. Most of them will reject it, but some of them will embrace it because it is preachable. The work's already been done by Christ. What's easy to preach? All you have to do is believe. What's so hard about that? Don't follow religion and legalism and traditions. You're going to need to follow what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God, God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. You don't have to light candles and give all your money away. You just have to believe. Just believe. The gospel is prophetic. It's provable. It's personal. It's powerful. And it is preachable. These are just a review on last week's. Listen, today we're in verse 16. 14 reasons why the gospel is the power. 14 reasons I have here why the gospel is the power. So let's read verse 16. For it is the power of God. For Let's go start off. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Notice, it's salvation is for everyone who believes. If you don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to tell you straight out, you are a lost sinner. That's the way the scriptures read. That's what Jesus himself said, you know, and I'm not going to call Jesus a liar, believe me. You might be, but I'm not going to call him a liar. He says, I am, Paul's saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So, it's the power, number one, point number one, it is the power for the new birth. The gospel is the power for the new verse. I got it right here, 1 Peter 23. 1 Peter 23. I got scriptures for everything I'm going to be here teaching here tonight. 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of God abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. It is the power of God for the new birth. You have been born again. And don't say that you, 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 aren't, you, you can get into heaven without without being born again, because Jesus himself said it in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus had a problem with that. He didn't understand it. Again, Jesus was talking spiritual. Nicodemus was talking carnal. And, and, and Jesus turned it into the spiritual. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. You were born in your mother's womb. You were born of flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That means you were born again. You said you must be born again. You were now born of the spirit of God because you believe now that Jesus is the son of God. And Nicodemus even said that to Jesus. He said, hey, he says, I know you're from God, Jesus. I know you're from God because you wouldn't be able to do these things. Remember, 
A miracle is a supernatural activity that demonstrates and reveals a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth is that he is the Messiah. He's Jehovah Rapha. That's what Nicodemus was talking about. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's Je- Jehovah Jireh. You know, Jesus is telling him, he, this is what Nicodemus is noticing. I know that you're from God. You wouldn't be able to do these things. And Jesus said, you must be born again. In other words, you've got to be get out of the flesh and get into the spirit of God that tells you that Jesus Christ is risen. And you'll be born again. Number two, the gospel is the power to give salvation. Here's Ephesians 1, uh, 13. Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you were saved, when you were born again, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know what? You can break a wax seal from the king on a letter. You can break the seal uh, of of uh, Rome on, on on whatever, but you cannot break the seal that has been put on you because you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, you know, it's the power of God for your salvation. Power, point number three, it's the power to impart grace. It's the power to impart grace. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 34. You can write these verses down if I'm going too fast. 20, verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. This is the Apostle Paul. In order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel imparts grace to you. The power, there's power because it imparts grace to you. You were, you're God's riches, the acrostic of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. (laughs) The gospel imparts grace to us people. We need grace. It's also number four. It's the power to establish you in the faith. It is the power to establish you in the faith. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans 16, 25. Now unto him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret long ages past. It is to establish you in the faith. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you know, there's a wise man and there's a foolish man. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand, and then when the rain comes and the floods come and the, and the winds descend on the house, it falls, and great will be its fall. But the wise man, he builds his house upon the rock. Well, you're going to view the rock, and when the winds come and the floods come and the rains come and the storms hit, he said it stands firm because it's founded on a rock. 
This is what the gospel does. It establishes you that your feet are secure. I, I, you know, Isaiah, what is it, um, Psalm 40. He took me out of, let's see, I'm going to turn there, 40. Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3, I believe it is. On Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the miry pit of destruction, and out of the miry clay, and he set my foot upon a rock, making my feet secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It is going to establish you. You know, because, you know, you're, you were waited patiently on the Lord. When you got born again, you know, he brought you up out of that miry pit of destruction that you were headed for. And he put your feet upon a solid rock. And that solid rock, according to Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was, was talking, is the, his, he's the rock of, of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. He's going to establish you on the rock that doesn't move. Jesus said to Peter, you know, you are the, the uh, you know, the, the, the rock. He says, how's it go? Hmm. Anyway, Jesus was saying, Peter, you're the little stone, and I'm the rock mountain. And by the Greek words that he's used, Petra and Petros, you know, he's saying, I'm going to build my house upon this stone because I'm the rock. He's the rock of your salvation. He's a solid rock. You know, number five of the power. It is the, the gospel is the power to regener, to generate faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want faith? You have to read the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. So it's the power to generate faith. The gospel is also the power to set you free. It's, it can set you free. So, turn to uh, Romans, um, let's see, no, not Romans, John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. Verse 31 through 36. John, chapter 8, 31 through 36. You got it? Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and then... You are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring, and have never been yet enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, to everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, then you are free indeed. First of all, the, the Jews are telling a, a white lie here. They have been under the bondage of Rome right at this time when they're talking. They've been, they have been, never been enslaved to anybody, but right now they're enslaved to Rome. And before that, you know who they were enslaved to? They were enslaved to the Greeks, Alexander the Great. 
And before that, I think it was the Persian Empire, and then, then it was the Babylon. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years. He said, they're telling Jesus they've never been enslaved to anyone. But Jesus is saying, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is saying, you know me, and you know the truth. Even in uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus is, comes riding in the clouds on the second coming on his white horse, and it's on a sign is written on him that he is faithful and true. That's what his name, faithful and true. The truth shall set you free. Let me, you know, it's assumed here that the truth you know will set you free. If you don't know this, then you can't claim it to be set free. You have to know the truth. So that means that you have to read the Word of God. You have to study the Word of God. Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I did eat them, and they became the joy and the delight of my heart. <laughs> you know, Paul said to Timothy, Study, show yourself approved unto God. The truth that you know will set you free. If you don't know the truth, I gave you the example about that bank robber that went in and robbed the bank at $6,000. He had an 1873 Colt 45 revolver in his hand. He robbed the bank of $6,000, got caught, and spent six years in jail. He didn't know the truth. The truth is that that revolver was worth $242,000. If you don't know the truth, how can it set you free? If he would have known the truth, he would have sold that revolver for two hundred and forty thousand, and he would have and he would have to, wouldn't have to rob the bank, and he wouldn't have went to jail for six years. The truth that you know is assumed here will make you free. Number seven, the you know the power of God nourishes your spiritual life. First Peter two two. 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in, res in respect to salvation. See? It's time to grow. It's got to grow to nourish your spiritual life. Like a newborn baby, you know, you're drinking milk. Paul had to rebuke the Corinthian church. You know that because he, 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 he preached the gospel. They got saved. He went away. He comes back. They're still drinking up from a milk bottle. No, you have a responsibility before God to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. How are you going to do that? You can read the Word of God. You can read your devotionals, but that's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to go to church. You're going to have to listen to maybe sermons on the Internet or on, on radio, you have to listen to worship songs on the radio so that you can build up your worship spirit within you. You have to, to nourish your spiritual life with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You have to, you've got to eat the Word of God, and you just can't, you, you know, it's just like going to the restaurant. Your wife orders a you know, a, a T-bone steak, and you order uh, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. 
No, you can't be eating, you know, the 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 bad stuff for you. You gotta you gotta firm up on on protein. You just can't eat fats all the time. That's what Paul is saying here. Grow, nourish yourself. Otherwise, if I, I said it many times from this pulpit, if you're 20 years old in the Lord and you're still sucking on a binky, the church is going to think you're retarded. I hate to put it so bluntly, but that's the truth. If you're 20 years old sucking on a binky, people are going to wonder what's going on. So Paul is saying here, Corinthians, and Peter is even saying it, listen, you've got to grow up. You've got to nourish yourself. You just can't stay a babe all your life. So if you're a 20-year-old Christian and you're still sucking on a binky, spit it out, start reading the Word of God, then go to church every Sunday, every mid midweek service, and, and make yourself some good Christian friendships and hang around with those people that are always talking and loving, and, and, and Jesus is their, 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 their focus. America, the Christian church today, has lost its focus for the most part. A lot of them, not all of them, a lot of them, they lost their focus. They fight about what color to paint the wall and what should we do, what kind of carpet should we put in instead of worrying about those lost souls out there at the beach or those lost souls under the bridge. The homeless, they're worried about carpet and, and wall paint. It's, it's not, not, that's ridiculous. Grow up is what Paul is saying. Number, number eight, it's the power to cleanse the church. Ephesians 5, 26. Ephesians 5, and verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is the word of God. As you read it, it's going to wash you clean. As you learn about the Savior who shed his blood, and his blood is what really washes you clean. But how do you find it out? By learning the truth. And the truth is that his blood sets you free. His blood cleanses you from all sin. You can't cleanse yourself from sin by lighting a candle or fasting once a week or being a Sunday school teacher for 30 years. You have to... You have to bathe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood. So, number nine, the Word of God is powerful to search your life. Hebrews 4.12, I mentioned it earlier and even quoted it, I believe, and I'm going to read it, Hebrews 4.12. For we do, 4.12, I'm sorry. For the Word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Remember I have, I brought out my sword over there, it was a, and it's in this closet right here. I brought a double-edged sword out from back in, in King David's time, and that blade is double-edged. That blade is sitting in this closet right now, and it is getting duller and duller and duller each day that goes by, because even the air will dull the blade. But if you were using that blade, 
and you were using, and that's a reference to this blade, if you use this blade every day, you don't have to sharpen it. It's getting sharpened because you are using the Word of God and preaching and teaching it accurately. But a normal sword, even whenever kings went to battle, when they battled all day long and their swords got dull, they had to spend the whole night sharpening their blades for the next morning. But you don't have to do that. You read the Word of God. You, you apply the Word of God. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And because you're using the Word of God, your knowledge, your saturation of the gospel grows in you, and you that sword gets sharper and sharper every time you use it. Number, number 10. It's the power of God that, that, to make you partakers of Christ. It makes you the power to become a partaker of Christ, and that would be turning to Ephesians 3.6. Ephesians 3 and chapter 6. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do we know what he's saying here? Us Gentiles, I don't know any Jew in this congregation here, okay? I don't know about over the internet, but what he's saying here is it has, the, the gospel has the power to make us partakers into the, into uh, faith in, in, uh, in Christ. It's make us partakers and we're grafted in to the kingdom of God because through Christ and through the power of the gospel, we are grafted in to the tree. Okay, number, number 11. It's, it's the power of God to import, immoral, impart mora, immorality. Impart, let's see, to impart eternal life. Let's make it easier. Okay? It's the power to impart eternal life. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 1.10. 2 Timothy 1.10, and if you're taking notes. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We've been, we are made immortal. You're going to die in the flesh, but your spirit is never going to die because you're a triune being. Now unto him who is able to sanctify you completely to present your spirit, soul, and body blameless before at the coming of Christ. You are a triune being like God, Father, Son, Spirit. You are a triune being, your spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 That's why God said in chapter 3 of, of Genesis, let us make, I'm sorry, chapter 2, let us make man in our image. And then I showed you the first two verses of Genesis. You have the, the father hoovering over the face of the waters. You have the, you have the, no, you have the father uh, creating. You have, you have the spirit hoovering over the face of the water. In verse 3, the God speaks and said, let there be light. And Jesus is the word of God. You have father, son, Holy Spirit in the first three verses. Verses of the Bible. All that had to be done was 
In the beginning, God is the Greek word, Hebrew word Elohim, which is the plural version of El, which is singular, which is the name of God. Elohim is, is, is plural. So now we have a triune God already, you know, creating. In the beginning, God created. And in the beginning, it says that beginning is Reshith, and it means the beginning of time. In the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the power of God to bring peace. Romans 10, 15. Romans 10, 15. It is the power of God to bring peace. Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. It brings peace to the world. The gospel, the prince of peace came to earth. And he is here. He was here. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. It's important to support your missionaries and stuff. If you can't go, you can be a partaker in the plan and in the salvation of those people that accept the Lord by supporting them with prayer, time, when they come in to help them, and even finances. You know, you can, because they're bringing, they're blessed to their feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings of, of tidings of good, jo- of good joy. How beautiful are the feet. You know what it's saying? How beautiful is Billy Graham? How beautiful is Matt Feldner? How beautiful is Brett and Nona, you know, uh, Hennis in Brazil? How beautiful are these people that are preaching the gospel? That's the way God looks at it. Beautiful feet. How, how beautiful are you when you preach the gospel to your lost buddy, your lost girlfriend, your lost neighbor, your lost boss? How beautiful are your feet? You're preaching the, the beautiful gospel. The, Paul put it this way, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number 13, only two more. The gospel is the power to give fullness of blessings. Fullness of blessings. Romans, uh, Ephesians, I'm sorry, 6, 7, no, I'm, yeah, fullness of blessings. It's Romans 15, 29. I skipped one. We're going to go back. Romans 15, 29. Yeah, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Sorry. Romans 15, verse 29. And I know that when I come, I will come in the fullness of blessings of Christ. It brings fullness of blessings. Paul was going from church to church. He was laying hands on people. And and he told the Roman church, I long to come to you that I might lay my hands on you. And God would impart some spiritual gift to you. It imparts the fullness of blessing, the word of God. So, number 14, the the Word of God, being not ashamed of the Word of God, is the power to 
give protection. It's the power to give protection. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Let me start at the 16th verse. Ephesians 6, 15, I mean 16 and 17. In addition to all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It brings protection. God's given you a shield of faith. He gave you a sword of the Spirit. You heard me say many times, Jesus went out into the desert and, and the devil tempted him. And what did he fight with? Isaiah tells us that when God goes to battle, he puts his helmet of salvation on and his breastplate of righteousness. Uh, likewise, us too, we need to be wearing our helmet of salvation, our breastplate of righteousness, our belt of truth. He, we need to wear the, uh, the helmet of salvation and, and the, our feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to go out into battle like God. When God goes out into battle, Jesus went out into battle. He had two weapons with him, the word of God, and he had, the, he had the shield of faith and the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And what did he tell the devil when the devil lied to him and even twisted Scripture? He said, it is written, shield of faith, it is written. And then he lashed out with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He, Jesus had protection. Even Jesus, like his father in heaven, when he went to battle, he put on his helmet of salvation and his breastplate of righteousness. And likewise, the gospel is the power of God to give us protection. So let me go through them real quick. The power of God to give new birth, to give salvation. It's the power of God to impart grace. It's the, it's the power to be established in faith. It's the power to generate faith. It's the power to set you free. It's the power to nurse your spiritual life. It's the power to cleanse yourself, your ch the church. It's the power to search your life. It's the power to be partakers of with Christ. It's the power to impart eternal life to you. It's, in, it's power to bring peace, and it's power to give salvation, and it gives the fullness, the power to give the fullness of blessing. Man, salvation is to everyone that believes. Don't, you know what? Gary just gave you 14 reasons why not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And if we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ, you are lacking power. You're not only lacking power, you are lacking the power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you are lacking. And that's why the church is really not possessing today. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. We're afraid to say, God bless you, or Merry Christmas, or Happy Easter, or Happy Resurrection Sunday, or God bless you in Jesus' name. We're afraid of it because that person might be Jewish. Well, too bad. That's a Jewish Messiah that saved us from our sins. 
All they got to do is look in the scriptures and they will see there's only one that can meet that need. And they, uh, that, that, that bill, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Anyway, that was only part, the last part of, of Romans chapter 16, or Romans 1, verse 16. Next week, I'm going to move back and be in the same verses again, not the same, yeah, the same verse again, maybe two more. I'm going to show you seven benefits of your salvation in the next two verses. Seven benefits of your salvation. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord, for your word that, that go forth from this pulpit. Father, I pray that your word really sunk into whoever it is that you want a specific point to soak into. And Lord, may you receive the glory from it. And Lord, if, if somebody's accepted the Lord here tonight, I pray that you, you bring them to us or let them write us a letter or go online and, and tell us what they have done so we can rejoice with, with them and with the angels in heaven over a salvation of one of, of, one of the men and women or children uh, that are walking on this earth. And to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.